Jacqueline, the therapist, and each week I'm here with real people discussing real problems, no small talk. Before I get into my interview this week, I wanted to put out there that I had actually a few people reach out to me and say they were interested in also receiving a few extra hair and makeup tips on the show. I'm so happy to answer any of those questions. Anything you want to ask me, uh, you can write in the comments page of any of my shows, and I'll be sure to check those comments, and I'll get back to you on a future episode. So if you have any hair and makeup questions, let me know. So for those of us looking for partners, how many times have you heard the phrase, you just haven't met the right one yet, or when you're looking, that's exactly when the right person will come along? Okay, these phrases really annoy me. I'd say they're only partly true, and that's why they annoy me. Because first of all, just because you meet somebody and you're married doesn't mean you're in a healthy relationship, okay? And your childhood might be blocking you from meeting a great partner. Our relationships with our parents, as well as the dynamics between them, set us up for seeking out certain people that fulfill those exact same dynamics. Now, the other part is that they also, that, that those dynamics, set up track records, if you will, inside our brains that help us kind of repeat and relive or recreate the same filters that we grew up with. So in essence, even if a situation might be happening differently, you will probably see it in the exact same way. Now, what happens if this history with your parents sets you up for an unhealthy relationship dynamic? How do we heal from that? And to even discover this might take years of unraveling. For example, you could be in a long-term relationship and not even know you're acting out in unhealthy ways, like putting a lot of judgment and blame on your partner, like constantly finding fault with him or her. Now, this brings me to another question. How do we decipher the difference between our intuition, that voice deep down in our guts that we know to be true, versus the judgments that could perhaps be masking our denial or keep us in the old conditioning that's actually blocking us from that intimacy that all of us, I think, deep down desire. Today, I'm interviewing a very beautiful woman who is on the path to finding love. She claims she's never had a healthy relationship. And when she walked in the door, I noticed she had this gorgeous lion's mane of hair. Okay, we're talking Giselle-like hair. It's really thick. It's the kind of hair that most women want. She took the time to style it. It looked very pretty. And you can see that she takes pride in her looks, yet interestingly enough, I noticed when I really paid attention that she seemed to use her hair almost as kind of curtains for her face. It was as if she was using her hair to slightly hide her face. In, in essence, I got the, the sense that she didn't quite want to be seen. Like she wanted to be seen as a whole, as beautiful and desirable, but there was a part of her that was hiding, and I think hiding her authenticity. I have a feeling this same principle applies to other areas of her life as well. So here's my interview with her. Enjoy. Hi, Shannon. Hi. So we were talking a little bit before about your love life. What's happening? Well, I'm doing a, a lot of dating. I'm on um, three, da three dating apps. Tinder, Bumble, and OkCupid. Okay, what do you what do you notice is the difference between those? I notice that OkCupid, the men are not attractive, like in general. <laughs> like I hardly ever check it because I've pretty uh -huh. much caught on to that. I don't know. You're I, not attracted I guess to the men on there. Yeah. Birds of a feather. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. funny. And then um, uh, Tinder and Bumble seem to be equal um, in the quality of men and the amount of, of emails or messages I get from both of those. Mm-hmm. And I've been on them all for about four months mm-hmm. now, and I've gone on... I don't know how many dates. At least, at least fifty dates, maybe more. And um, and they're all they all seem to be nice men, but uh, you know I haven't really met anyone who was older than their picture or didn't look like their picture. Like I don't have any weird horror stories, but I haven't met anyone that I super connect with. Mm-hmm. Well, there was one man that I totally connected with, but I'm not attracted to him. So, like... Well, how many dates did you have with him? Just one. And I'm, yeah. I'm open to having another date with him, but um, he's from um, England, and his teeth are, hor- like, bad. <laughs> like, they're, like, almost... They're, like, ye- yellow. Like, mm-hmm. really, like, really yellow. And I don't... I, honestly, I don't think I could get past that, regardless of how... So, wait, so you're not open, really? Um, I will go on another date with him and um, just because I am open enough to go on another date with him but I can't honestly I can't imagine like unless he could do something about that so then you're not open kiss him well if he could do something about his teeth which I mean obviously wouldn't come up in a conversation until quite some time (laughs) because Uh I mean it's just curious it's like what I'm finding have you been married before? No. Yeah. Well, do you want to get married? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why do you think that you haven't been married? Um, so I, uh, I was suffering, you know, from codependency and love addiction. Wait, so what does codependency mean? Because I feel like that word is tossed around a lot, and a lot mm-hmm. of people, do, you know, it's still, it, can, it can be very abstract and... and you know, then, then there's also the thing of healthy attachment or whatever, so it gets very confusing. Like, well, what specifically was happening for you? The way that it showed up for me was in spite of, you know, red flags or things that I would see um, in a potential partner that I knew wouldn't work for me, um, I wanted to be in a relationship at, at all cost. And... So, for example, when um, I got into a relationship um, a year into my recovery in in a 12-step program that deals with codependency and love addiction, um, I I was at his house and I went into his bathroom and I saw that he had liver cleanse on his counter. Now, that could mean a myriad of things, but my intuition told me that on his counter in that moment for this man, it meant that he had some substance abuse problems. Like I knew it with every fiber of my being. And I decided to move forward in this relationship anyway because he was paying attention to me and I felt like he was good to me. And um, addiction or substance abuse is my number one deal breaker. So if you're saying that it's a deal breaker, do you have other deal breaker? You were still seeing him, even though at that point, that was a deal breaker for you. Yeah. And you chose to keep seeing him regardless. And that's how you ended up. I, I did. I, I pretended to not know what I know. 
right? I, gotcha. I overrode my intuition and I was like, oh, that could, you know, liver cleanse, that could be anything. So one of the things I've learned in the process of, you know, recovery and getting to know myself and build intimacy with myself is to, re- to trust my intuition, to know, to know what I know and to let myself know. Okay, so so just I just want to go back a second. So what you're saying is you're you're with this guy, you knew he had deal he had a deal breaker for you, one of your deal breakers. I'm curious about your other ones, and yet you you chose not to get out. So that's why you kind of ended up in just kind of coming to the awareness that like you have this love addiction, like this thing that you kind of you know takes hold of you. You have no control over, like you lose all rational kind of judgment right and then you feel stuck is that what you're saying um yes and at that point i was uh, that relationship was actually representative of a lot of recovery so it's it's been a lot worse than what i'm telling you now okay but so but that was the relationship that got you into recovery around love stuff no Okay. Oh, sorry. I thought that's what you had said. Okay. Um, the relationship that got me into recovery was a relationship that didn't really exist. Hmm. The relationship that got me into recovery was um, I met a man who um, fit everything that I wanted on paper. Um, and I found out, you know, through time that he was completely emotionally unavailable the re- the relationship lasted for four months. I think I in that time I probably saw him four or five times. He was out of town a lot, and so I had this severe, extreme attachment to being with this person. And like when he wouldn't call or if I didn't hear from him, I would have this sense of panic until I would hear from him. And then even when I did hear from him, I would still feel panicked. So just there was this kind of this sense of terror through that entire um, non-relationship that I pretended was a relationship because I wanted it so badly. So he ended it. And when he ended it, I felt like I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And I knew there was something horribly wrong because... I didn't even ever, like, he and I kissed twice. I didn't really spend much time with him, and so it was just so clear to me that there was something really, really wrong. And that that was when I decided that to go get help. Mm-hmm. So the, the relationship um, um, where I saw the, you know, liver cleanse on the counter, that was that I met him, like, a year into recovery. And... Um, so what's important in, about in your recovery for love stuff yeah what's important about that moment for me to remember is that like you know yes it's possible that I could have been wrong about the liver cleanse but I so badly wanted to be in a relationship that I didn't even ask him about it like now if I saw that and I thought had a thought like that I would say hey I'm curious I noticed that you have this stuff on your counter what do you use that for and then, you know, and then I would get more information and I would have found out sooner that he took clonopin every night. And I didn't actually find that out until six months into the relationship. Then um, it became, he became my project. I was trading 
my hair services to get him help with an Ayurvedic doctor. I was trading my hair services to get him help with this other homeopathic mm. doctor. Like I turned myself into a pretzel to fix this person so that I could be with him. Did you, when you would do these things for him, did you <clears throat> feel kind of like high about it a little bit? Like, oh, I'm doing so much good for him. Kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It gave me a sense of purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so have you ever had uh, what you would consider a healthy relationship? Um, no. 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 Not, not now that I know what a healthy relationship is. What, what was I your parents' relationship like? like? Um, my parents' relationship was pretty volatile. Mm-hmm. My dad was a drug addict and an alcoholic and a rageaholic. And my mom was really codependent. And in... in same thing, like she would try to fix my dad. So that's what I grew up witnessing. And um, there was never a sense of safety or security or um, mm-hmm. comfort or that I would be taken care of by either of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's how we learn to attach is that initial bond that we have with our parents, right? And so just making me think of like you use the word safety you know and then just hearing like you seem to have a history of dating um addicts and your father is an addict and your mother was emotionally unavailable Mm -hmm. right which some could argue is a different form of addiction in a way right like it just looks differently Mm -hmm. like like um you know we, we could all in essence be considered addicts of our own thoughts like we're all we all have these certain thought patterns that we're used to thinking and seeing things in a certain way but so when you're a child and like you know just even from when you're in your mother's belly I think I'm having my own feelings about it because my throat just like cracked. Um, when you're in your mother's belly, like you're having the attachment to her. And what I, I strongly believe, like what your mother was feeling at that time while you were in the womb was was connecting to you, right? And so then, then when you're born into the world and you have this mother who's, you know, in her own whirlwind of the craziness of the relationship with your father, who I'm sure felt very scared and afraid, like that's what you're feeling as a baby who doesn't have words but like takes it all on right because children are sponges they don't have any boundaries we take on whatever feelings from our parents and so then like that kind of distance and that whole setup I mean it just seems so textbook like you know you have the alcoholic alanonic relationship right the unavailable partner and the other one's trying to make you know is tortured by that and then oftentimes little kids it's like they translate it as oh I can fix it like if I just fix it it'll feel okay and so now I'm thinking like when you said with this last guy that you felt good when you fixed him maybe in those moments that's what made you feel safe yes yeah Mm -hmm. like I I remember um we had uh I had the homeopathic doctor over to my house and she gave us both ozone shots which make you feel really good and um we were leaving to go somewhere and he said to me I don't want to drink anymore and I was like as high as a kite you know yeah mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I'm just wondering if you walk through the world feeling safe no I don't yeah it's taken so much work I feel better now than I've ever felt in my life but 
more recently, I realized how incredibly important it is for me to have a daily practice. And I have a few things that I, I have a lot of tools, but two specifically that I understand will really help me embody the feeling of safety and that it's, it's going to take time and it's going to take a practice because that is not how I walk around yeah. normally. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Were you physically abused by your father? No. Or mother, like never hit or anything like that? No. But rage? Rage. Verbal, verbal, a lot of verbal abuse. Not so much directed at me as wa- watching my mom be abused verbally. And, and he would get physical with her. He never hit her, but he would get really close to her face. There was a lot of threat, a lot of threatening behavior. Like he was going to mm-hmm. hit her. It was very loud. But so, okay, so you have their relationship, but how are they reacting or acting towards you? Um, like when they were fighting or just in general? Both. When they were fighting, my mom would put me in my room and mm-hmm. close the door, but I could still hear them and I felt, I would always feel really scared. And when they, <laughs> when they weren't fighting, that just meant that he wasn't there. So when he wasn't there, um, my mom would, um, she would be with me, but she was never present. You know, she was always like worrying or in some kind of like hurry. We're always in a hurry. We're always running late. There was never enough time, food or money. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like we were always running from one place to another. My mom was working two and three jobs most of the time. And um, I went to a private school that she couldn't afford, so we were the janitors to pay for the school, which created great work ethic for me, but it also created a huge sense of less than because all the kids in the school knew that I was the janitor. Yeah. So that didn't feel good. Yeah, it's... um, This came up a while back when you were talking, and you said your dad, when your dad, you know your dad was gone. Like if they weren't fighting, your dad was gone. Right. right. Isn't that what you yeah. said? So in essence, what feels safe to you is when a man is distant. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably. I never thought about that. It, it just hit me while you were here. And, and, and then with your mom, you know, right. I hear her creating the chaos. And like, if you, I'm just thinking about your the the last guy that you're trying to fix right like you're so busy doing 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 got to fix this you know in in essence it it keeps that dynamic like the dynamic of your parents in a certain way like if you're running around like fixing it like you don't even have to feel that maybe you felt really bad like you probably didn't feel so good in certain ways but masking it in these other ways to like fix the to fix the issue Mm -hmm. you know and and the reason I had asked you if you had been uh, physically abused by your father is because I, I noticed that you have this way, like your your stance is is a little shut down, and it's always your head's a little down. But and then when you were talking about how it was working with your mom in the school, like I, I just saw it as like it seemed like your hair <laughs> and the way you looked down was kind of like this curtain of shame, like don't. Like, I'm here, right? You do these things to make yourself attractive. You're very pretty, right? But it's a little, 
like kind of closed in like don't like I can see like at first I thought it was fear that I was seeing like a little like a, a, a you know a deer in the headlights but now I'm thinking oh, it was actually shame maybe it's both it's probably both I yeah. mean there was um because the school that I went to was a Seventh-day Adventist like religious school and so I was brought up to believe in this god and so my whole um belief system like how I felt and thought at the time was why do all of these other little girls get to have dads and families that pay for their schools and I don't like where is God like why am I not important enough to have a dad like that if there is this God like what the fuck happened to me and then also I imagine you must feel that same kind of sentiment in the relationships you're with with these men of why are these why is this person happily married yet I'm over here with this guy that yeah. I'm trying to fix yeah um, it happened even today I was doing this girl's hair and there was definitely I, I heard myself judging her she's a perfectly nice girl but I feel like I have these amazing qualities that she doesn't have and she um broke up with some guy who wanted to marry her so that she could be with this other guy who married her. And I'm thinking, this is what I'm, this is exactly my thought process. I was like, see God, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, what the fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, how much work, seriously, like how much work do I need to do? You know, it just kills me. I feel like I've spent my entire adult life like working on myself. Yeah. I do think it's really tricky if you have these kind of attachment issues, um, which I have some of the same, that, I mean, it, t it does take a lot of work to, like, shift those patterns. I think then you're also dealing with the societal pressure of, like, I mean, I think for uh, still most women in this country um, view and certainly not all, but, you know, culturally we view marriage as and marriage and babies as a sign of of value and worth as a woman and so you know in essence like I think many people are can be dealing with the stuff that you've dealt with in your relationships in a marriage right but my brain does the same thing like the marriage equals <laughs> I did it I've got, I've got that one made you know like I've accomplished my goal in life you know but um or one of my goals I should say but in in reality actually a lot of people are dealing with what you're dealing with in the marriage but my brain forgets that and says like this is this is good where I'm at is bad yeah you know, because really, and I would have done the same thing around that girl, like, oh, she's she's got it figured out in a way, but her, her attachment issues are just different than yours, mm -hmm. you know, so, but then part of my own cycle, and I think the, the, it sounds like the cycle that you grew up in is that I'm not enough mentality, so that's how I'll turn it around on myself, like, I'll compare myself to somebody else, you know, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, this is my reason why. And then it kind of keeps me in my own same cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so with that girl today, I'm wondering what happened that, that triggered that kind of thought process in you. Was it just the fact that oh, the she, marriage? She was just talking about it. Yeah, but it, was it just it, because it was the marriage stuff that kind of brought that up? Yeah. Or were you already feeling some like insecurity and vulnerability beforehand? Oh, I probably was just because I was in a new environment. You know, mm -hmm. I was probably not feeling. Although, 
better than I used to feel in a new environment. Yeah. Um, it was just a thought that I noticed that I had. It didn't. Um, I didn't feel triggered or taken away by it. It uh-huh. was just kind of a surface thought, and I noticed it. Yeah. You know? And so now you have this English guy that you say you're open to, but you're not open to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, on I guess I'm really not. I'm not. I yeah. really, I liked him. Um, I liked, um, our conversation was incredible. He's a very interesting man, but he is not physically attractive to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's a deal breaker. Okay. Somebody said to me once, one of my mentors said, you only get three, otherwise it's narcissistic. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with that or not. I've heard that, yeah. I have. So, okay, I guess that's th- that's one of my three. If that's one of yours. Okay, what are your other two? Um, they have to be healthy and balanced. Um, and then they have to be financially secure. Okay, so... I think what you really mean is you have to be physically attracted to them. Yeah. Healthy and balanced. Yeah. Financially secure. Yeah. So that all sounds good. I'm just wondering if you're judging. It's it's so tricky with the online, right? Because I think it sets us up in this. For people I know that online has worked with, they truly go in with no expectations at all. I personally have never been able to do that online, so I'm not a very good candidate for that. But I know people that have met their significant their their husbands and wives off of you know even Tinder, which we all know Tinder is for a hookup. But like I know I know multiple people that have met their partners that way, you know. Um, but I think they just go into it. It seems to me that they go into it with they don't take it seriously and they don't really have any judgment. And so I'm just wondering if you're so busy breaking it down on date one when in fact like this is a really awkward situation, right? When you go and you meet somebody that normally if you didn't have the online, it would be in a bar and maybe you'd be having that conversation pushing down those feelings is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> we work extra hard, right? We work twice as hard or three times as hard when we push down our feelings. So no wonder you feel like you've worked so hard, but then when you've been, when you say, you know, you're also talking about a kind of connection that's very different from what you grew up with. Right. And yet I'm just wondering if the whole thing is, you're just still working so hard and maybe you just need to work hard. Um, to me, I look at it as all my work is really about receiving. It's not really about doing more. It's about receiving more. Because I'm a type A. I'm a doer. I do all day long. Yeah. I'm always like, do nothing is still doing a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, which isn't the case for everybody, but that's the case for type Ers, probably. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when you were talking about all this work, like you've done all this work, what feels like your entire life. Yeah. In essence, you were, right? You were working to hold it together when you were younger. You were trying to survive, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, probably working to get out of a lot of your feelings just to survive Yeah. to a certain extent. Um, I've shifted the way that I communicate. I never initiate anything. And um, I do receive whatever they're willing to give. Um and and for the most part except for a, on a more recent date i've just been appreciative you know and saying thank you for whatever it is that they're willing to give and not asking for better more or different mhm 
um, which has taken a lot of conscious effort on my part. Yeah, so you're still working really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just want to take charge and have it go how I want it to go. Yeah, so of course you still feel like you're working because you're just working to do the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Which in essence still isn't receiving. It's It's become easier. Yeah. You know, Yeah. much easier than it used to. Which I think is important to note, right? Because sometimes when we make, when we start making changes, it's so, it, it, sometimes it comes slow, sometimes it co- comes quickly. Um, and then if it comes quickly, there could be like a backlash against it. And so then it's easy to mm-hmm. give it up. Whereas maybe, you know, it's just like this wasn't an innate skill set for you. So there is a learning curve with that. Whereas other people that might come easier to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have the English guy who you're not going to go out with again. No, I am going to go out with him. Oh, again. now you're going to go out with him again. Yeah, but I'm probably not going to, you know, kiss him. Well, I mean, it's only a second date. <laughs> I mean, you can take as long as you need, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean for the most part, I stick to the three-date guideline regardless. Uh-huh. Um, so you've been out with all of these guys that you've been dating online three times. Um, no, because they don't always, they don't all ask me out again. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, because none of them I've really felt much of a connection with, I don't care. I'm happy. That yeah, they, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Are you meeting guys in, in person as well? No. I never meet guys in person. What's that about? Because, you know, this happened all the time before <laughs> before the internet existed. People met in person all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, but even before online dating was a thing, I never seemed to meet guys in person. Except for my first boyfriend who I asked out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think that's about? Um, well, I think now people, it's so easy to just do online. So why not just do that? Mm-hmm. And But people still meet in person. Yeah, um, I don't... I, don't I mean, know. the past three guys I've met, every single one of them has been in person. Huh. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. And that was all that. in the past month. I'm not talking to this man of a year and a half. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, my boyfriend that I just broke up with recently was the owner of my shop, so I met him in person. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think you're open? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So if a guy, you know, were to look at you, make eye contact with you, you would hold the eye contact, you would allow him to come over to you? Yeah, I would. And you're open in that way when you're out in the world? I. It depends on how I'm feeling. Yeah? Yeah. Are you shutting down right now? Um, yeah, I guess I'm feeling defensive about yeah. that question. Yeah. Um, because I feel like, um, I shouldn't have to, like, you know, um, I feel like guys are pussies and Mm. I catch them looking at me a lot and then never approaching me. You know, it happens a lot in the gym, at the coffee shop. But are you really, are you being open to them? Because my experience is that like when I really, really committed to I think we know the same woman, you know, uh, her, her name's Dr. Pat Allen. Yeah. <laughs> she totally preaches the masculine and feminine. Yeah. And, 
And I remember when she spoke about flirting for the first time and she said that, you know, you hold a man's gaze for three seconds and and you smile. And if he looks away, it's his rejection of you, right? Mm -hmm. And when I first started doing that, it was incredibly terrifying and I was thinking there was no way I could do this. But then it actually became a very fascinating experience in human behavior to see how men would react to me. It was like, it became so interesting. And I've had men just by looking at them and smiling come up to me in the airport and take my luggage to the rental car. I, I literally, I, I was um, wrongfully in trouble for something at the, the immigrations, in, uh, the custom and immigrations in, in Canada. And it was all a complete mistake. And I swear I solved the whole thing with eye contact and a smile. They were like, oh, okay. They all of a sudden were like so willing to understand. Whereas before I was very defensive and you know, I mean, it was just everybody was butting heads. And then the minute they understood, it was totally fine. There was no problem. And so I'm just wondering if, um, you know, there's some way that like you're holding back from it, you know, because I used to not be able to do that. Like, I, I remember this one guy I dated, he, he I forget, he, he asked me if I had enjoyed something we'd done. And I, I, I said, of course. And he said, oh, I couldn't tell at all. And I thought I was being incredibly obvious. I really, you know, but that always stuck with me because mm. now I'm seeing that I think that, you know, there's a disconnect because it's very scary for me, you know, and the same thing of having a man be distant. It, it, it's so much easier for him to be open and love that way because it feels safe when the man's a little f far away, you know. Um, and uh, so, so learning to be open when the person that I want, that I desire is in front of me, like can feel terrifying and incredibly unsafe, you know? Mm -hmm. And then also it gets more comfortable and we get more used to it. But I'm just wondering if there's some, some, something that you're pulling back from that, that people are, are sensing. Like, I swear, I mean, I can control people coming up to me or not just by imagining in my head, my emotional boundary and it like can deter somebody in two seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'll have to pay more attention to it. No, or you don't want to, which is also fine. <laughs> you don't have to. Well, it'll depend on how I feel on that day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, which is fine. I mean, right? But then it, it kind of goes back to, well, you're a big exerciser. Do every day you feel like exercise? Every day you feel like exercising? No. But you do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? Because it keeps the body in shape that your mind, right? Like your mind and your soul might need a little extra work in that department to keep it in shape. Mm -hmm. And I'm just hearing like, this is this thing. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't matter, but it's only because you said, this is this thing that you really want, that there's almost this, that, but you're allowing yourself to be, you know, led by your emotional whims, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like physically wise for your body doesn't always serve you. Right. Yet feel so easily go off in that direction and so then it just seems like there's this and that's what I feel from you right now it's like yes no yes no you know mm. and so are you ever really doing the pattern differently or are you just kind of you know on that same seesaw mm -hmm. when you know really you should be on the slide you know <laughs> yeah you know? yeah or maybe like the foam bouncy thing. That seems like very safe, fun and safe, right? You fall the slide. Like, totally out of control. The bouncy foam thing is like fun and safe. Yeah, you know? I, I like the fun bouncy thing. Yeah. So stay there. Yeah. <laughs> you fall, everything's okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Well, maybe that's almost the way you need to look at it, right? You know? Mm. Like, mm -hmm. can dating be fun and safe, you know? 
it's been more fun this time than it's ever been in my life. That's major, right? Yeah, that's major. Yeah. Because otherwise we're just swinging to the other end if we think it should look this certain way without, you know, oh, it should be perfect. Without, I mean, I totally do that. Like, yeah. oh, I'm doing this work now. It should be, I should be at the end. You know, the, I, I, I've done all the work. It should be, you know, without even doing all the work. But my right. head thinks it should switch when in reality there's, you know, like, you don't just gain the ideal body overnight. Like, it takes a little bit of time. Right. And probably maybe less than your head thinks, but more than the expectation. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm willing to try it. The smiling eye contact thing. <laughs> <laughs> and your eyes right now are saying no. <laughs> It'll be, it scares me. Yeah. I don't like it. And I also don't think I should have to do it, honestly. But it's not even doing anything. It's just showing a guy that you're open. In essence, you're actually doing very little. <laughs> it causes actually to do a lot less work because all you do is smile. If they look away, then you know they're just not even going to come up to you. Right. That's how I met one of the guys. I mean, just literally I met him on the street. And I just, I, now it's so second nature. I just like looked at him and smiled. And, and he had... You know, he smiled back at me and he was walking and then he, he did a double take and stopped and thought about it. And I was at my car and then I think I smiled at him again. He came over and stopped me at my car. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's very nice. Hmm. I mean, and, and it felt like no effort at all. You know, it was more like, wait, should I stop my car? Maybe <laughs> we should just keep going. Yeah. You know, that's more like what my head will do. I met, I met someone very nice recently that um, oh what was me. the quotation marks about you just did was, quotation marks with your hands around I just I you know that's another thing that I uh, think I I need somebody with a little bit of edginess to them mm-hmm. this guy was so nice like just the nicest guy okay wait let's talk about that what what that means because I think this is an important yeah. differentiation of what's going on okay Okay. Yeah. What did that mean? That he was so nice. Yeah. Like what? Um, to me, it meant that he, to me, it felt like he'd never really been through anything hard in his life. He just had this sort of vanilla, la la, go to college, have two parents that are married. You so know. he had an innocence about him. In he a had way. an innocence about him that made me feel not able to connect with mm. him. You know, um, in a in a kind of deeper way. I mean, I had Wait, a nice time with him, but um, how how many days did you guys go on? One, no, two, two. So you should have a, you think you should have a really deep connection after two dates? Um, well, we should at least I should not be bored out of my mind with the conversation. I was pretty, I was pretty bored. Okay, so he seemed to have a kind of vanilla and life. He was little. He was kind of a little guy. Oh, I don't care about that at all. I, was, I mean, I've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> An amazing, hot like man who's slightly shorter than me. And he's amazing. Why, oh, why, if he was yeah. amazing and hot, then the little wouldn't. I mean, he's cute, but he's not amazingly hot. I'm just hearing, I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying when I'm asking you this is you're totally entitled to all your feelings that you have about someone. And you, you should totally trust your intuition. But I'm just wondering mm-hmm. how much of this is intuition and how much of this is judgment? Because it just, it feels like, at least in the way that you're expressing it, it feels like you're kind of always looking for the wrong. 
And and when I say that, I totally relate. Like it, I told you this before, you know, we know each other, and, and that it takes me at least three days to even slightly calm down if I'm around somebody that's open and available. I just, I mean, my head just goes crazy. Like it just takes time, you know. I don't know what to say about that. He's too nice. But but you just gave things that is. had nothing to do with nice. Like he, you said that he actually he seemed to have more vanilla like more innocent or let's say more secure childhood than your own yeah and so after two dates that felt like you couldn't connect even though that's really not giving that person a chance because you 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 don't really have well one of the things that's this is going to sound really shallow and it is because don't you want somebody who's healthy and balanced i do but not this guy (laughs) not this guy he had on one of my pet peeves is um, white tennis shoes with big floppy laces that have absolutely no style and then socks that come up to your (laughs) mid-calf. I just can't. I can't. I mean, he's a full-on, 100% like scientist geek. The fact that I went on a second date with him was epic for me. Okay. Yeah. This is a problem with online. So that I don't even know why he's wearing tennis shoes to a date. We're still, well, we went but, hiking. That's why. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. fair enough. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but but I'm just wondering. A sense of style to me tells me a lot. Like what you have chosen to wear. Yeah. Tells me a lot about who you are and what's important to you. And I'm very aesthetic. I love design and style. But why did you even go out with him in the first place? Well, I couldn't tell that from the first date. And then I have this three date rule. So I went on the second date with him. Uh-huh. The first date, he was fine. The second date was not. I don't know. I'm just sensing it's not about these men, but I just I can sense that you feel very closed off. And I'm just wondering, it's not about these guys, but what's the real armor about? Um, I'm, I'm not sure where you're going with this. Well, you have this, I feel like you have this whole suit of armor on right now in front of me that's you're you're defending every single reason you have for doing everything but you want to find love right so we're here to talk about what's going on deep down because there's some kind of block mm-hmm. for you right yeah, yeah but every time we talk about it i feel like there's this this kind of i'm gonna head in with my fist up and well and, i you guess know, then i don't know where do i get to have you know choice and what I like and value and where you know like what's the difference between that and not being open yeah I think that it's not about any of these men like it's kind of (laughs) you can blame it on you haven't met the guy or whatever this man there's a problem with him or that man but I think there's something that's deeper than all of that that's even affecting how you're choosing men you know maybe you're particularly choosing men that like that are completely not your type then just don't even go out with that kind of men because it's kind of a setup to say like see i can't have what i want hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's this ted talk and i forget the name of the woman she did a, a a year maybe longer of online dating and it was all about how to have the perfect online you know profile that would attract as many men as possible and you know she was you know not she wasn't a barbie doll or anything like that and and so she had this whole thing on it, and she said that one of the things is that you should be extremely particular online. She said, oh, you think you should be non-judgmental? No, be very discerning about who you even go out with. 
And I found that so interesting, right? Because my head also gets very skewed around like, will you be right for me? Will you not be? You know, it's so easy for me to rationalize things one way or another mm-hmm. when I look at somebody's online profile, you know, and that I, I jump out of my body for it. And, and I'm just wondering if there's some of that going on, but I think there's also this whole other issue has nothing to do with the actual dates that there's this shield up that's closed off. Mm-hmm. And that's the real work. And if you don't know what that's about, like that's seems like that's your work. Well, I, for me, am more open than I've ever been. Yeah. So for me right now in this moment, this is as good as I am. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. continue to work on myself. Yeah. Like I always have. And whatever that piece is, you know, hopefully I'll discover it. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't know what more I could be doing to fix that. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't need to do anything. Maybe that's the thing, like going back to doing. Maybe you don't need to do. My cat agrees. <laughs> She's very into the art of relaxation. Yeah. And, and like I'm happy to not go out with somebody who I think is going to be too conservative or too vanilla or yeah. whatever. But my dating coach tells me to be open to different kinds uh-huh. of people. So that's why I have been going out with different kinds of people that I wouldn't normally go out with. You know, yeah. go out with. So yeah. to me, that was me being open. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the intention behind something is really important, right? And if you're going out with somebody with a closed off mind and heart, it doesn't really matter what they say or do, right? We're going to be shut down. So do you think it's made you more open? Um, Yeah. I think it's helped me um, be able to communicate with a more wider variety of people Uh Um, and you know I was like with this guy I was open to a second date even though I can sense I could sense that he's not like my usual type but then when he showed up with those white tennis shoes I was like this is like no I can't (laughs) he's really not my type like I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. do -hmm. this yeah yeah But I do get that there is a piece of, um, you know, there's something attractive about someone who isn't, who is a little more distant, right? Yeah. Yeah. That does appeal to me. I recognize that. Yeah. You know, so when they are that way, like that one guy I told you was inconsistent with his texting and I called him out on it. Uh Uh-huh. And now he's being more consistent with his texting. Yeah. So and, I don't know. and you're more attracted to him, right? Um, I'm not any more attracted to him than I was. No, I still have doubts about him because because now I think he's only texting because I asked him to, not because he wants to. You mm-hmm. know. I think it's the way that you. Okay, bear with me here on this. Okay, I'm feeling like you might have anger towards men, mm. and this is why I say that. I say that as someone who relates, who's been working through Mm -hmm. a lot of that, because 
even though you said, right, you know, the way that you're expressing how you felt about these dates afterwards, even though you went on them, it was like almost trying to make each one of these men feel bad. Like you're judging them so much after the fact when like, it doesn't matter. Like he wasn't your, your guy, which is fine. Right. But there's this kind of passionate attachment to the judgment in the way that you're expressing that I think existed before this man and before the other man or whatever, but deep down, right? If, I mean, if your dad was never around, like, I, I don't know if you've done any work around that, but I mean, I'm sure that would make you pretty angry and upset. Well, yeah, him not being around and then when he was around, he was just a dick, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so then if you haven't processed that, like, I'm just wondering how that's bleeding into your relationships. You know? Well, I feel like I've done a lot of processing on my dad, mm-hmm. you know? Like, a lot. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's always layers, right? We keep learning things in deeper and deeper ways. And I yeah. know for myself, I'm constantly... <laughs> I think to myself, there's no, possibly, there's no possible way I could learn a deeper layer of this than the next week. I'm blown away and I'm like, <laughs> how did I not see that before? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, you know, if your mind wasn't quiet enough, like there's a surface level anger, but I'm talking, or maybe there was like rage that you're dealing with, right? But beneath rage, there's all these other things. And maybe it's not even anger, maybe it's sadness. But it's coming up as anger, so you don't have to feel the sadness. Like maybe that's it, I don't know. But I feel like there's some kind of defense there around men that is probably that you're, you're, you get to push away, you know? And I'm not saying any of these guys are right for you at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, sure. I'm sure there's more. Right? Well, what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Jacqueline. I've, I've been working on dad issues since mm-hmm. I was probably seven years old. Yeah. It's my first therapy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but you were disconnected you know. for so long, right? Yeah. And there were layers. Like, I, I know you're in a couple of 12-step programs, but right? So when the mind you know, maybe the mind was covering up in a lot of different ways. And I remember talking to somebody about, oh, I used to be really fearless in career stuff, like totally fearless. And I, and I would get it back and then some, and it was like, I had like luck powers or whatever. And I remember telling a mentor of mine that, well, I didn't, I didn't used to have those fears, like look what I used to do. But then I think about other ways that I was actually acting out. So it wasn't being completely vulnerable while I was doing that. Like I had other ways that were kind of masking. Like I definitely had like weird, like kind of erratic food issues and other stuff. And like my love stuff was very, I mean, I had crazy relationships and stuff, but I was very open in this work way. Well, once all that stuff quiets down, right? But then we're left with the feelings beneath it. So it's hard to say, you know, yes, you were working on it, but you also had all this other stuff that was probably covering up other layers. Or maybe just like, just through this conversation, the healing's already taking place, you know, because it's just airing it out. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that by the talking, stuff is healed in, in, in just the communication, the interaction, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not sitting under there, it's just getting kicked up and moved around, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to toot my own horn, but I noticed when I said that thing about your father, your your voice picked up and you seemed more energetic when you spoke. Uh-huh. When you said what thing? Um, about the covering up of, of anger or maybe grief, sadness, you kind of picked up. Um, you had more energy when you were speaking. 
And so, I don't know, just something to think about. Shannon, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. It was nice talking to you. Me too. Every issue we have in our lives always goes back to what's happening internally within us. So why I'm saying that at this moment is I noticed how critical this woman was of the men she was going out with, whether it be their appearances, which she was very, very critical and judgmental of, but also about their personalities. And interestingly enough, while she was so critical of them in that way, the way that she was wearing her hair, which was kind of covering her face, like a little bit like two curtains on each side, I could see that she really had shame about her own self and insecurities about her looks and about what's happening on the inside for her. She had this timidity that I could just see in her eyes and and I think fear about revealing what was really going on within her. Now this makes sense that she would feel really unsafe in the world. She mentioned how growing up she felt a lot of shame around her peers for what her mother did for work and that she felt only safe when her father was out of the house. She mentioned that she grew up in a violent household and while the violence wasn't directed at her, it was still directed at her mother. And so in essence, what what that's telling a child is that it's only safe when the child is alone. Obviously, this is gonna have a very traumatic effect when you grow up. I also noticed that while she has clearly done a lot of work on herself, she still shuts down. She almost doesn't want to see certain things. For example, when I asked her why she didn't seem to meet men in person, she was really unwilling to examine that and basically just blamed men and shut down. I also get the sense that she feels very scared to share her feelings and and somehow as if these feelings are like wounds that should be healed and put away in little boxes unless they're feelings that she wants to have. Now here's the thing, I think she's shut down to the good feelings as well because if you're shut down to the bad feelings, you're also shut down to the good feelings. Now, while she's making progress with men, she definitely still seems resistant to allowing in good ones. And I have a feeling this is because of some unresolved anger and some probably other uncomfortable emotions that she's avoiding. Here's the thing, none of this is her fault. It all makes complete sense based on her upbringing. It's literally textbook. On one hand, it's amazing how deep our childhoods can affect us. And on the other hand, it's blatantly obvious and really common sense. I'm Jacqueline, the therapist. Thank you for listening. And one last thing, I wanted to give a big thank you to Billy Muller for composing this amazing music for me. Thank you so much, Billy. 